you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33. Deuteronomy, chapter 33. just like to read a few verses at the end, right at the end of the chapter. So Deuteronomy 33, and uh, I'd like to read verses 26 to 29. So commencing with verse 26. There is none like unto, unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be Upon a land of corn and wine, also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O, o people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency, and thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. I thank the Lord for the reading of his word. I'd ask uh, for his help in, in sharing that tonight. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the blessing of all the uh, hymns that we've heard, for the music. We do praise the Lord for the music you've given us. And Father, we uh, just pray as we open the word now that you'll help us to understand it. And if there's, uh, Lord, an encouragement that we can take or a challenge, we just look to you to apply it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I know that not all of you here are monarchists. Uh, but have you ever wondered what the Queen is really like? Uh, we know that she's fabulously rich and she owns half a dozen castles. I've been on a tour of Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle and, you know, I've never seen so many beautiful crockery sets. Uh, just uh, room after room of these beautiful crockery sets. I've seen the crown jewels and uh, those jewels, they, they drip with precious stones and gold. And we've all seen the Queen in her horse-drawn carriages uh, uh, or, and uh, in her royal regalia. Perhaps, uh, perhaps we've seen her on TV, but we've all sort of seen her in that sort of way at some time in our lives. Uh, she is a very influential person. She's probably met most, uh, most of the powerful people in the world. Her picture appears in the papers or in some form of media almost every day. She is arguably the most famous person in the world. Uh, she has a life that is very different to ours, but what is she really like? Uh, for instance, what does she eat for breakfast? Or uh, what are her corgis like? Uh, is, she, is she a cranky old thing or is, is she a kind person? Uh, is she generous or is she a miser? Is she a bit silly or is she wise? Does she pray or is she really godless? I wonder what the Queen is really like. Well, if anybody should know, apart from her family, those who should know are surely her closest servants. And there have been documentaries, uh, we've probably seen them, and books and articles written by some of her former servants, and they, they give us a little bit of an insight into what the Queen is really like. I have a book at home written by Paul Burrell, who was once the Queen's footman. 
He had daily access to the queen, even in her private apartments. He always remained a servant, but he did get to see the queen as others don't. And he formed an opinion, a very definite opinion of what she is like. And if you want to know what that opinion was, you'll have to read the book. Well, I think this was similar for God's servant, Moses. Moses always remained God's servant, but if there ever was a person in the history of the world who would know what God was really like, it would be Moses. From the day that he stood before that burning bush uh, to the day of his death, no one before or since, save Jesus himself, spent so much time with God. Moses heard the voice of God on many occasions over 40 years. He entered into that cloud. Remember the cloud that descended on Mount Sinai where where he, he entered into that cloud where God was at least five times. He spoke to God and he spoke for God and he was God's chosen lawgiver. Exodus 33, 11 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Have a look in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Just uh, over the page from our reading today, verse 10, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Tonight I want to finish my mini-series on Moses the prophet. Just a little mini-series, about seven messages. And I want to finish with what I've called the last words of Moses. The last words of Moses, they were in fact those words that I just read earlier in the Bible reading. And they were words about his God. In these verses that I read earlier, Moses told us what God is really like. And as I've said, if anyone should have known what God is like, it was Moses. Now we all know the, the God of the Old Testament. We, we know the God that led the people out of Egypt, the God who was the power behind the miracles in Egypt. We know that about God. Uh, we know that he was the one who descended on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning. We know that he was the judge who punished the evildoers, but he was also the God who sent the manna and gave the water out of the rock. We know the stories and we can appreciate God's greatness and God's power, but, but what is God really like? Well, if anyone should have known, as I said, it was Moses. And as I said, he gave us an insight into what God was like in his last prophetic word. And so after teaching the song, remember God God had him write out a song, the song of Moses, it's all there in chapter 32. After he wrote out that song and he taught it to the Israelites, Moses then gave some prophecies to each of the tribes. That's in chapter 33, right at the beginning, all the tribes. It listed a, a little prophecy for each tribe. After all of that, Moses at the end of chapter 33 gave his last words. Now we know they were his last words because of what we read in chapter 34. Let me read these verses again. Chapter 34 verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan and all Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the uttermost sea and the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zor. 
And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre to this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And so we know that this was the end of Moses' life. And uh, what pre, just predated that, what came just before that, were these words that I'd read earlier in Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 to 29. And so we can be sure that these were the last words of Moses. So, what were, were the last words of Moses? Uh, in these verses, as I said, he shows us what God is like. And he begins in verse 26 with saying this, There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. So the first thing that Moses wanted us to know about God is that he is unique. He is unique. Moses' testimony was that there, there's none like the God of Jeshurun. Now, Jeshurun was a special name, and I'll just mention that a little bit in a moment, but that was a special name God gave to Israel. There is none like unto the God of Israel. That was what Moses wanted us to know about God. And by this, I assume that he meant that there was no other God like Israel's God. There was none other God like Israel's God. Now, when you think of it, um, Moses knew about many gods. I was raised in a Christian family and only really heard about the God of the Bible. I, I really hadn't ever experienced other gods growing up in my life. But it wasn't so for Moses. He had to live 40 years in a pagan society that was dominated by false gods. His own stepfather, uh, the Pharaoh, was supposed to be a god himself, the god Amon-Ra, god incarnate. Uh, he would have known all the Egyptian gods and their supposed powers. He would have known about Ra and Anna, Ammon and Anubis and, and Horus and, and, and the rest of Egypt's false gods. He would have grown up knowing all about these gods and these ones and all the others. He also knew that these gods had no power against the Lord when he struck Egypt with all those plagues. The gods of Egypt were powerless against the God of Israel because they weren't true gods. They didn't really exist. He grew up, people grew up worshipping these things. Uh, you know, they had statues uh, uh, in honour of these things. Uh, they had rituals around these, these gods, but they, but they were all... the makings of men. They didn't really exist and that's why they were powerless against the God of Israel and Moses would have known that. Also in leading the Israelites to Canaan, as uh, you know, Moses faced the Moabites for instance. The Moabites trusted in Baal and Ashtaroth and he fought against the Amorites who worshipped other false gods. All those false gods were powerless against the God of Israel and the reason was because they weren't Real. You see, Moses knew from personal experience what he had learned years before during the plagues in Egypt. Turn with me back, keep a little marker in, in Deuteronomy 33. Look back at Exodus chapter 8, verse 10. 
It was during the plague of the frogs, Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, that Moses makes this statement. Exodus chapter 8, verse 10. And he said, speaking to the Pharaoh, tomorrow, and he said, be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord, that's Jehovah, our God, and that thou mightest know that there is none like unto the Lord, our God. That's what Moses learnt right during that time of the plagues in Egypt. And 40 years after Moses said this to Pharaoh, he penned in his last words in Deuteronomy 33 that, that he hadn't changed his view about God. He realised that way back that 40 years before, during those plagues and 40 years later, knowing all he knew about God, all the things he'd seen with God as the servant of God, he hadn't changed his view. God is unique. There is none like him because he is the only true God. And this was also expressed by Isaiah many years later. Let's just flip over to Isaiah chapter 40. It says those, these wonderful familiar verses. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 25. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25 to 28. This is the Lord speaking. Isaiah 40, verse 25, To whom then shall you liken me? Or who shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. Behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he that is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest thou Israel, my ways hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over my God, uh, from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching his understanding. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 44. Uh, we could read a all of the chapters, chapter 40, 40 to chapter 44, and basically they're saying, the same thing about God, the God of Israel. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have, I, have not I told thee from, from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. There is no God. Uh, that the God of Jeshurun, there is no God other than the God of Jeshurun. There is no God other than the God of Israel. There is no God other than the Lord. And uh, he is, he tells us here, that he is the first and he is the last. And we now have the privilege of knowing him as our God too, don't we? Let's go over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, I believe that this is probably a, um, 
in relation to that passage in Isaiah 44, Revelation 1, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. He appeared in his glorified state. And he had to make it very clear to John who he was. Revelation 1 verse 8. I've got one of those Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red, so you'll be able to pick it. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek uh, alphabet, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And then in verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. The Lord Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the ending, the Alpha and Omega. He is the same God of Moses, he is the same God of Jeshurun, and he is the God of all who trust in the Lord Jesus as their saviour. There is no other God other than the God of the Bible. The Western world, for the most part, has rejected the true God. You take that message to anywhere in Coffs Harbour even, or in our uh, Western society, and, and often people just will think you're silly or they won't believe what you say. The Western world, for the most part, has rejected the true God. And many are trying to fill the, the spiritual void, the ver spiritual void of their lives with, with things that aren't true. Just like those people uh, of old in ancient times were filling their lives with, with false gods, false rituals, uh, trying to fill that spiritual void. So what is the, the Western world, if have rejected the God of the Bible, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, what are they trying to fill their lives with? Well, it could be anything. It could be Islam. Some are going to Islam, even though they're born into a Western family. Uh, some go to yoga. Uh, all other people are putting their trust in the superheroes of, the Marvel, of Marvel. Uh, they're looking for something uh, to give them power, something to give them meaning in life. But none of it is true. None of it is real. There is only one true God who can fill that spiritual void in our lives, and that God is the Lord Jesus Christ is the same God that Moses knew. So let's trust in him as Moses did. So Moses, if we go back to uh, Deuteronomy 33, the first thing that we learn that Moses uh, tells us about God, and he knew him really well, was that he, there is none like unto him. He is very, he is unique. Now the second thing I, I found in also in that same um, starting clause, there is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. I want to point you to the name Moses used to refer to Israel. The lexicon um, tells us that this word name Jeshurun means an upright one, an upright one, like a righteous person. And one commentator said it, it's a symbolic name for Israel, describing her ideal character, how God likes to view Israel as an upright one. And it really points to the fact that Israel were God's chosen people. But it's almost like Pastor Crockett was telling us this morning about justification. By calling Israel Jeshurun in his last message, it's like Moses was declaring them upright. He was declaring Israel righteous because not of their works, but because of, their, because of God's Grace. In fact, in the Song of Moses, just in the chapter or two previous, 
we read how Jeshurun would become rebellious. Let's go over to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 um, and verses 8 to 10. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. He found him, this is, uh, this is Jacob in verse 9, this is Israel. He found him in a desert land. Oh, sorry, that's uh, uh, verse 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, uh, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. And so Israel is God's People. They are God's people. He found him in a desert land and in the waste, howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. We know even today that Israel is the apple of God's eye. Even though they are in rebellion, even though they don't acknowledge their Messiah, they still God still has a plan for his people. So here is the Lord. Israel is the Lord's portion. But we read in verse 15, but Jeshurun, and here's the name waxed fat because of God's blessings. Uh, they waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. So it sounds like uh, I read that and I think, whoa, maybe it's God speaking to me. Uh, but uh, this is about Israel, okay. <laughs> thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And he goes on to say how Israel rebelled against the Lord. Jeshurun, the upright one, the one that he had taken from, set apart from all of the other nations in the world. Jeshurun, uh, in history past and even in the, history, in the future, would rebel against the Lord, but they would still. Here is Moses then, right in his last message, having said all of that, he's declaring Israel still to be Jeshurun, God's upright nation. Um, and this shows us the grace of God. Jeshurun was really God's pet name for Israel, but it was only because he was a gracious God. Well, what Moses is trying to point us to, to is the fact that, what does he know about God? He's a gracious God. He's a gracious God. Um, and that this, this is a picture for us of the grace of God to us who are saved. We are now, because we are saved, because we have been redeemed, because Christ has taken the punishment for our sins, because we've had faith in Christ, we are now God's upright ones. We are declared to be righteous, not through our own works, but by faith in Christ. We have been justified by grace, through faith in Christ. And now God calls us who are sinners, he calls us saints. And a saint is literally a holy one. God looks not as you as a sinner, but because he has justified you, you declared you, as you heard this morning, uh, righteous. He's declared you right. He, you are his holy one. That's how he views you. This is the grace of God. It's almost like we are his Jeshurun. And so by that very name, Moses points us to the grace of God. What does Moses know about God? Well, he's unique and he's gracious. But what else? Let's read on. Deuteronomy 33 and the rest of verse 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. I think the key word there in the second part of verse 26 is his help, 
is his help. God is helpful. He's unique, he's gracious, and he is helpful. This is what Moses found about God after all those years serving him. Moses' testimony was that the God of Israel rode upon the heaven to bring help to Jeshurun. When Israel was in trouble, God came to help him. He came in his excellency. He came in his majesty. It was help. It was heavenly help. And this reminded me of Psalm 60, uh, 46 verses 1 and 2 when I read this, where it tells us God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear that the earth be removed and that the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. God is a very present help and he was a very present help to Israel. Now as I said, this isn't the earthly help, it's the help that comes from him who rides the heaven. And we should all run to him for help when we need it. Uh, that's what Moses told us about God, uh, also told us about God in verse 27. Have a look, having told us that he rideth upon heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky, verse 27, he went on to say, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms and he shall thrust out the enemy before thee and shall say, destroy them. Here we have a wonderful picture of God that Moses presented to us. I mean, how often have you read on a plaque or heard that expression underneath of the everlasting arms? I've heard it many times. I've seen it written on plaques on the, the, and that are on the walls of Christians in Christians' homes. We might be familiar with the expression, but did you realise <laughs> these words were penned by Moses at the end of his life telling us what God is like? What he wants us to know is that God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now you think of all the trials that Moses had to bear in his 120 years. You think you've had a few problems? Well, listen to what Moses had to endure. Think <clears throat> the fact that he had to live away from his family. Sure, he may have been in a pagan palace, but he had to be ripped from his family, his mum and his dad and his sister and brother, right from almost birth. Uh, he was forced to live away from his family. And then after 40, 40 years of age, he had to flee for his life <coughs> uh, to escape being killed. Uh, then he had to spend 40 years as a shepherd in the, in the backside of the desert. And then another 40 years being constantly criticised as he led his people through the desert. We know reading through uh, what he wrote about that trip, uh, at times he wanted to quit. At times the Lord wanted uh, to to get rid of Israel and just start again with him and he had to plead for the people who had criticised him all those times. Many times he faced rebellion even from his own family. So Moses had many trials to bear in his 120 years. So did these many trials over many years make him a bitter man at the end of his life, in his last days? I've uh, met with many old people uh, saved and unsaved, and some people are very bitter about the things that they've had to endure through their life. Did, did Moses blame God for his troubles uh, or, and warn people not to trust in God? Well, no. His testimony was that the Lord always came to help him. He had found God to be a refuge in times of trouble, and he had felt the undergirding of those everlasting arms. Now, if they were my arms <laughs> and you needed me to hold on to you, 
you would be in big trouble. <laughs> and even if I could hold you for some time, even, eventually my strength would give way. But not so those everlasting arms, the God of the God of Jeshurun. His strength is everlasting because he is the eternal God. In fact, Moses' testimony was that God would thrust out the enemy before him and, it, and that if Israel would trust in him and seek his help, they would always live, always be safe and they would be prosperous. I haven't got much time, so I'll just read these verses and just share a few things. Verse 28 and 29, they're wonderful verses. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath uh, the everlasting arms he shall thrust out the enemy before thee, and say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a, a land of corn and wine, and his heaven shall drop dew, drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. Moses' view, knowing God from being his servant for all those years, was that Israel would be happy <laughs> knowing that the Lord had saved them and that the Lord would help them. And the Hebrew word for happy here is mostly translated blessed. Knowing they're blessed, knowing blessed, knowing that the Lord had saved them and that the Lord would help them. And friends, this ought to be the disposition of all those people the Lord has saved. Has the Lord saved you? Do you know that he has saved you from your sins? Do you know that he has given you the promise of a hope in heaven? If the Lord has saved you, then you ought to be happy. You ought to be happy that he has saved you we should be happy knowing that we've been saved and knowing that he is our sword and he is our shield we should be happy knowing that he will eventually show show the lies of the enemy of our soul you know when the trials of life come and they will come when trials come even serving the lord and they do come serving the lord we ought to take moses advice he knows god really well I believe he knew God more than any other person who has ever lived, save Jesus Christ. And his, his counsel to us would be, when trials come, is for us to turn to our God and let him be our refuge, to let him be our help. And he would counsel us to be happy. This is the best life that you can live. The best life that you can live is to life that honours him and serves him and worships him. He would counsel us to be happy knowing the Lord has saved us and will keep us safe. Now, of course, if you don't know that you're saved, if you don't know the Lord is your saviour, then you can't be sure that you can be happy. You can't turn to him to be that refuge and that help that you need. You won't be able to experience the Lord as Moses did. And so if there's somebody here tonight and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus to be your saviour, then I would encourage you, to find the Lord, to, to turn to the Lord and to believe in him so that you too can be happy knowing that you're saved. So, what is God really like? What is God really like? Well, we know all the omnis. We know he's omnipresent, omniscient and all those things. We know that he's eternal. We know all the doctrines. We know about his greatness and his power. But if we really got to know him personally, you'll know you'll find that he was just like Moses said. He's unique, 
Uh, he is uh, gracious, he is helpful, and he can make us truly happy. I trust that you find him to be all that Moses found him to be. Well, that's the end of the series, and I think that's a good way to end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of just what you were like from somebody who knew you probably better than most people ha ever have. And we thank you that despite the trials, despite, uh, Lord, um, the hard and hardships that Moses had to bear, he had this uh, testimony of what a wonderful God you were to him and even to Israel in their rebellion. I pray that, Father, that we would know you to be that uh, unique, only the only God, uh, the, the gracious God, the helpful God, and that we would turn you uh, to be that refuge and help that we, we need. Thank you, Lord, for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.